Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So we are in the Gospel of Matthew, welcome to our 11 o'clock service. We're glad you're here. We are actually uh, closing the door on the Sermon on the Mount because we're going into chapter 8. So chapter 8 is a new chapter. Jesus was last, last we saw him, the last three, uh, three chapters, chapters 5, uh, 6, and 7, Jesus was at the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew records this. It's very significant. It says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the Sermon on the Mount has ended, but the teachings of Jesus continue all through the Gospel of Matthew, about a third of the way through now. Uh, all the way through, the people will continue to be astonished. And it's not just because of the words that Jesus says, but also what he does. And one of the things that he does is he, he heals people. He heals people. Now, often I think of these, these miracles, these signs of Jesus as, as kind of a, an exclamation point, kind of like things that are highlighted and circled. And the reason they're highlighted and circled is because they demonstrate Jesus' divine power, his authority over the natural world. In our reading today, uh, he, he, will, he will cure a, a leper, a centurion's servant, and, and Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, these, these miracles, however, are much more than just healing for the body. They're actually a continuation of Jesus' teaching because in these healings, Jesus is also providing teachings. My, my sermon title today is actually called Jesus' Therapy. Jesus' ther We're all familiar with therapy, right? We've had physical therapy, occupational therapy. We know what therapy is. This is Jesus' therapy. And you'll see today, as we go through these, these three miracles, how Jesus provides that. Now, one of the things that's interesting is, um, is, is that, that uh, in, back in Matthew chapter 4, before the Sermon on the Mount, there were many, many people that were, that were, that were healed. Uh, it says, for example, the, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. You see, people came to Jesus because he was a healer. Did you know that Jesus never turned anybody away that needed healing? Nobody ever came to him and said, Jesus, would you heal? And he said, nah, don't think so. No, that never happened. Jesus always healed. And his healing not only showed his divine power, but also his compassion. His compassion. So there were crowds of people that were healed of their sicknesses. Now, one of the interesting things, if you look at all of the healings of Jesus, is that he never healed in the same way. Sometimes he would stretch out his hand. Sometimes he would put his hand on their forehead. Uh, some, one time he actually spit in the mud and put mud in their eye. I've never had a pastor do that to me, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, but it was never in the same way. You know, we're used, to our, we're used to our cartoons and our fairy tales, and sometimes we see magic, right, magic happening. Remember the story of Cinderella. 
This is a Disney town, right? So we all know the story of Cinderella. Remember the fairy godmother comes and visits Cinderella, and Cinderella's going to go to the ball. So, so the, 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 the fairy godmother turns her pumpkin into a carriage and the mice into coachmen, right? And all of a sudden, uh, Cinderella's uh, shabby clothes turns into this beautiful gown. And, and what, is the, what does the fairy godmother say? She says, Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. <laughs> Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Jesus never said bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. You know, the, 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 the Gospels and the healings of Jesus Christ stand in stark contrast to the magic that we see, the magic that's supposed to entertain. Jesus never said abracadabra. He never said hocus-pocus. He never said alakazam. Jesus didn't do that, but, he, but the words of Jesus actually matter. Uh, they matter a great deal. And the reason is, is because Jesus continues to teach us. Jesus continues to teach us about who he is and why he came and why he does the things he could do. The healings often say things that his words could never say. Uh, never say. Um, so what does Jesus do when people come to him uh, all through Syria and they brought sick people and all the diseases and torments and they were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics? What did he do? He, he healed them. He healed them. But I'm here to tell you today that, that even though Jesus began his teachings in the Beatitudes with blessed are the poor and those who mourn and those who meek, Jesus still has, has more to say. And he's going to say something through these, these healings. You know, when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he said, he said, Rabbi, you are obviously a man from God because no one other than from God could do these mighty things that you do. And this, this started this conversation. So Nicodemus came to him because of some of these miracles, because of some of these wonders. They, they were the exclamation point in his teachings. They were those things that were highlighted. This is how the fame of Jesus spread. These, these wonders remind us of the lessons, of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus' words are the very words of God. Remember, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the, and the life. So today we're going to take a look at 15 verses. I know that's a lot for us. We're going to look at 15 verses, but we're going to break them up. It's actually three different healings. And remember, I'm using this this sermon titled, Jesus Therapy. And I'm sure some of you are smiling, trying to figure out how that's going to tie in. Well, you see, we always can refer back to the Greek. And the word that's used 43 times in the New Testament for healing is the Greek word therapuo. Therapuo, which is where we get the word therapy. It's the, it's the basis. It's, it's, a, it's a description of all kinds of healing, but it also describes therapy that we have today. And as I mentioned before, we're, we are familiar with physical therapy. Physical therapy is when you've had an injury of some kind. You've, been, you've spent some time in the hospital off of your feet and you get some physical therapy to what? To regrain your strength to be able to put you productive again, to be able to have enough strength. I remember when I was, this is, oh my goodness, a while ago, over 20 years ago, um, I had a heart attack. And it surprised me because I thought I was in great, great shape. But I had a heart attack and as a result, I was incapacitated for about 14 days before the surgery and then after the surgery. And the doctor prescribed physical therapy for me. Now, I'm I've always been an athlete. I've always been very active. I've always enjoyed exercise. And I went to the therapy class, the very first therapy class, and they had these itty-titty-bitty weights. 
They had like a half pound weight, a one pound weight, a two and a half pound weight, five pound weight, and I'm looking for the bigger weights. You know, I'm used to, I want to be Arnold, you know? So, so I went over and picked up the largest weight I saw which was a 10-pound weight. Now, I'm used to, at that time, I was used to picking up 40 to 45 pounds, and I'd curl 40 to 45 pounds. I picked up the 10-pound weight, tried to pick it up, and almost fell on the ground. That's why I needed physical therapy. I needed more than just the doctor to do what they needed to do to provide the healing. I needed therapy beyond that. There was something that I needed to be able to be fully restored. Uh, people have occupational therapy. Now, occupational therapy, I learned this as a chaplain, is different than physical therapy. Occupational therapy allows you to compensate. Did you know that? Allows you to compensate for things that you aren't going to be able to do. So, for example, a person that, uh, a soldier that comes back and has uh, lost a leg, he has occupational therapy to learn how to be able to walk with a artificial leg or with a cane. A, a, a person that falls down, we don't do that here, right? <laughs> we don't do that here. A, a person that has a habit of falling down has occupational therapy to learn how to compensate, how to learn to be able to get in and out of a bathtub, how to be able to get out of a bed, how to get into a car differently than they normally do in order to be, to be whole, to bring them to a point that they're able to fulfill the things that they, they want to do. You see, it's much more than just healing. Therapy is, is so much more than healing. So we're going to look at three healings today. Uh, let's begin at the beginning. That's where we start. Chapter 8, verse 1 says this. When he, that's Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, this account is also in Luke's gospel. Matthew tells us that this man was a leper, but in Luke, it says that he was full of leprosy, meaning that he had had leprosy for a while. It was a very debilitating disease. Literally, some of your fingers would fall off after a while. It was such a, a horrible disease that the, 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 uh, the book of Moses, the law of Moses, uh, prescribed exactly what a person needed to do if they were diagnosed as a, a leper. It says in Leviticus chapter 13, the leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You see, this, this leper was completely unclean. He was unclean physically, but likely also spiritually. Leprosy at the time was completely incurable. There was no cure for it. There wasn't like a 98% chance that you would always have leprosy, there was a 100% chance. There was no cure for, for leprosy. Many people believe that leprosy was, a, was, a, was stricken by God. A person that was leprous was because God had given them leprosy because of some sin, either their sin or 
somebody else's sin. And that actually the Bible has some evidence for that. For example, if you remember the story of Miriam, Miriam was the sister, some kind of sister of Moses, and Miriam was stricken with leprosy because she rebelled against Moses. That's in Numbers chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12. Elijah, remember Elijah had a servant, Gehazi, and Gehazi was offered a bribe. And Elijah says, no, no, we don't need your money at all. But Gehazi went back and, and took the money. And because of his greed, he was stricken for with leprosy. King Uzziah was a pretty good king, so-so, but he offered incense in the temple. Because he wasn't a priest, that was arrogance on his part, and God struck him with leprosy. So there's, there's some evidence that this idea of leprosy may be, in fact, God trying to, to do something. Leprosy was the equivalent of today's cancer, except it was completely uncurable. But it was just as evident, just as ugly. Leprosy was kind of a, of a living death. If you notice that what I read before about in Leviticus, they were, the lepers were cut off from contact completely. Meaning their family, if they were married, if they had children, they would separate from their families. Their, husband, their wife, or their children. Uh, they would separate from their town. They would have to walk around with torn clothes and yell out, unclean, unclean. In other parts in the Bible, it says they would have to ring a bell so that people would know they were coming and separate from them. Uh, there was no access to the, for them to have any physical contact. Uh, they were not only cut off from their towns, but they were also cut off from Jerusalem, which means they were also cut off from the temple. The temple was the only place that God was at, according to the Jewish philosophy, and that's where the sacrifices were held, and there was no opportunity even for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this account of the leper is actually quite unusual because the leper got close to Jesus. Uh, we understand that Jesus had 12 apostles, and one of the roles of the apostles were to be handlers for Jesus. To me, he was able to get from point A to point B without people bothering him to keep the crowd at bay. And somehow this leper was able to get close enough to Jesus to be able to say, Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It's verse 2. Notice Jesus' response. There's no indecision. Jesus doesn't need a consul. He doesn't need a committee. He doesn't have to think about it or pray about it. He says, I'm willing, be clean. But did you notice that's not all that Jesus does? What's the other thing that Jesus does? Jesus touches the man. Think about that. Jesus touches the man. He crosses over this cultural boundary that you're not even supposed to be anywhere near a leper. Jesus touches the man. It's probably the first time that any human had touched this leper in maybe 10, 15, maybe 20 years. He had never been touched. But you see, Jesus wants to do more than just heal the man. He wants to restore the man. Jesus is playing the role of a, a therapist. Jesus is restoring not only his health, but he's also restoring his, his dignity. He's restoring his ability to function as an Israelite within Israel to be able to go to the temple, to go back to his family. You know, Jesus refers to this law of Moses. And what is Moses commanded? What can, the, what can this law possibly do for, for the leper? It says if, if you have leprosy and it's been cured, you go to the priest and show the priest, well, there is no cure for leprosy. So the law of Moses is basically giving you an option if you've been misdiagnosed. That's the only reason somebody would have said that you had leprosy and now you don't have any. 
absent from Jesus, of course. Jesus is the miracle worker. The law, you see, the law can never heal the leper, but Jesus could. Jesus could heal the leper, and he did. Jesus is teaching. Jesus therapy. The law can define sin, by the way. The law can define sin and tell you how horrible the sin is. The law can tell you that the wages of sin is death, but the law doesn't provide a cure for sin. Who provides this cure for sin? Jesus provides the cure for sin because it's not just the healing, it's not just the forgiveness of sins, but it's the restoration. Jesus is the one that saves us from our sins. Jesus heals. Jesus provides the therapy. Let's go on. Healing number two. This is a centurion's servant. This is, a, this is an interesting story. Verse 5 says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. You know, this healing is described in considerably more detail than the leper that was healed. Considerably more detail. Why? Because Jesus is not only going to heal the servant, but he's teaching us something as well. You know, it says when Jesus had entered Capernaum. Now, this is Jesus' home. Jesus lived in Capernaum. This is where Peter was from as well. This is where Matthew was from. Some of the apostles were from this very area. Uh, the, the scriptures indicate the, that this was a centurion. We know a lot about centurions. The Bible often speaks favorably of centurions. They were soldiers. They were commanders of a hundred. That's what the centurion means. They were commanders of a hundred. Likely, historians believe that this was the centurion that was established there in Capernaum. Likely, this was the battalion or this was the, this was the group of soldiers that watched over this area for Rome. They were in charge. Most likely, Jesus knew them. He probably knew this centurion. If you've been watching The Chosen, okay, in The Chosen, it talks about this relationship that Matthew had with the centurion, that Jesus had with the centurion as well, and how the centurion has this servant, this young boy that is sick. I love the way that Chosen puts it together because it brings it to alive. We see exactly how Jesus is, is ministering in this situation. Now, the centurion is obviously a Gentile which means that as a Gentile, the Jews can't go to his house. This is why he's surprised that Jesus would be willing to go to his house. The centurion came to a Jewish rabbi for help. He came to a rabbi. He did not come for a selfish reason, but he actually came on behalf of his servant. And like I said, it's, obvious, it's, 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 it's likely that Jesus knew this, this, this centurion, may have even known his servant. The centurion says, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. Now, the response that we hear from Jesus is not the response that the centurion expected. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. See, the centurion did not expect that because he knew the rules that the Jews played by. The Jews did not enter into a Jewish person's home. He knew that. And he gives two responses to Jesus, two reasons why Jesus didn't need to do that. The first one is he says, but Lord, I'm unworthy that you should come into my house. Now, he could be talking about 
the unworthiness because he's a sinner. That's possible. It probably is more that he is a Gentile and Jesus is a Jew. And the Jews felt that the Gentiles were unworthy of their attention or their, uh, or their uh, conversation at all. It was, it was presumptuous to even speak to a Jewish person because often a Jewish person would completely ignore you. The second reason the centurion gives is even better. Uh, he said there's no need for Jesus to come to his home because Jesus had authority. Now, how did he know that? How did he know that Jesus had the authority to be able to... He, Jesus had never done this before. How did the centurion know that Jesus had the authority to speak a word and for that word to be able to be effective enough that the healing would happen for the centurion's lad, his servant, even though it was possibly blocks away? How, how would he possibly know that? Well, from a, from a perspective of understanding who God is, uh, this has to do with the, what's called the omnipresence, right? The omnipotence of God, right? All-powerful God, all-seeing God. God is all-powerful. Well, Jesus humbled himself, the Bible says. Jesus humbled himself when he became a man. Jesus was always fully God and fully man. But at the same time, he humbled himself. He limited himself on some of his godlike powers in order to be like us to be able to die on the cross, to be able to suffer, to be able to be tempted. He, Jesus needed to be like us, so he limited some of these powers. But, but the centurion had this feeling. He knew that Jesus had this authority. So Jesus gives us a lesson. The centurion knows something that the Jewish people didn't know, this authority that Jesus had. Jesus is the therapist. He's going to give us a lesson. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, and I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast into utter darkness that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that same hour. You see, Matthew is providing the commentary of how this all transpired. At the same hour that Jesus said, your servant is healed, that servant was actually healed. And Matthew is providing that commentary. You know, when God chose Abraham, God said, Abraham, look up to the sky. Abraham had no children at the time. His wife was barren. He was going to be an old man. But Jesus said, or God said, look up to the sky. So, see the stars in the sky? So will your descendants be. Then he gives Abraham another promise. And he says this. He says, he says, and your descendants will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Actually, if you read that in the Greek, it's in your descendant, meaning one. One of your descendants will be a blessing to all people. What are you speaking to? He's speaking to Jesus. Jesus came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was the son of the tribe of Judah. He was the son of David. He came under David's lineage. And it was because of that that we are blessed. We as Gentiles, right? We as Gentiles. There's not too many Jews in here, right? We have a few Jews, but not too many. Most of us are Gentiles, and we've been blessed. We've been grafted in. How have we been grafted in? Because we are whosoever's. Remember that, John 3, 16? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that his word, the world through him should be saved. This is what Jesus is telling us. Jesus' therapy is telling us that, I'll tell you that from the east and the west, those will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the 
kingdom of heaven. Jesus is giving us a lesson telling us that, look at what the centurion just said. I'm telling you that this is exactly what the promise was to Abraham, that because of this kind of faith, the Gentiles will come and they'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. That's the therapy. It's not just the healing of the boy. Jesus had so much more to, to say, not only to the centurion, but also to us. One more healing. Peter's mother-in-law. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. So how does the healing of Jesus, of Peter's mother-in-law, compare with these previous two miracles? Well, I think we can understand something more about this Jesus therapy. And she was healed without saying a word. In this account, there's no word at all. There's, Jesus doesn't say anything at all. He just goes and touches her, and she's able to, to get up. So let's take a look at this. Well, let's understand, first of all, this therapy of Jesus. Who received the therapy? Well, I think I would say it's much more than just the mother-in-law. It was also Peter and his wife. Remember who Peter was. Peter was the apostle called by God. As far as we know, he may have been the only apostle at that time that was married. He was married, which meant that Jesus had called him. He said, follow me, right? Which meant that Peter was going to be on the road. Who would stay at home? It would be Peter's wife and her mother. They would care for each other. They would take care of each other. They would provide for each other while Peter was gone. If, if Peter's, if Peter's mother-in-law had a fever, in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it said she had a great fever, a great fever means that it is very dangerous. For those of you that know about fevers, you know that once somebody has a fever, what do you do? You try to get the fever down. And why do you do that? Because it's dangerous, right? If a fever gets much more than 103, 104 degrees, there can be brain damage. There can be blood clotting. There can be kidney failure. There can be um, all kinds of failures going on. Our daughter, when she was just about six to nine months old, had a high fever. And her mother and I did what everybody else was supposed to do. We brought the fever down, but it had gotten pretty high, about 104. That was pretty high for a little teeny girl. And she was fine. She recovered. She's doing fine now. But as her adult teeth came through, there was no porcelain on her adult teeth. Isn't that something? And the doctor said it was because most likely of the high fever. High fevers, especially in an older woman, an old woman, Peter's mother-in-law, would be of great concern. Great concern. Peter's wife would have been concerned. Peter would have been concerned. So Jesus provides healing, right? But who is getting the therapy? Again, it's Peter and his, his wife. When Lazarus died, remember when Lazarus died? Jesus goes to Bethany. He delays for three days, goes to Bethany. Martha and Mary meet him on the road, right? Martha and Mary are crying. Who else cries? Jesus cries, right? How's Lazarus? Lazarus is the bosom of Abraham. He's having the time of his life. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be healed. He doesn't need to be restored. He's, he's where he's supposed to be. I mean, he's with the bosom of Abraham, right? Jesus brings him back, and the therapy is not so much for Lazarus. It's for Martha and for Mary, right? Martha and Mary. When, um, uh, so, so, uh, when, um, so Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She has this fever. And again, it's a great concern for them. Without a word, Jesus touches her. He touches her hand. And Jesus wants to heal more than just her body. I, I think this is the perspective all through these healings, that it's much more than just healing. It's actually 
therapy. Regardless of whether it's leprosy or blindness or being lame or paralyzed or sick with a high fever, having illnesses are debilitating. They separate you from doing what you want to do. They separate you from doing what God has called you to do. So, so often therapy like physical therapy and occupational therapy, Jesus therapy restores you and restores your family to be able to function as God intends them to do. What is that? Namely, to be valued, to be loved, to be productive, to be integral members of the community, to be free to worship, to be able to go to the temple, to go to church, to free to work, to be contribute, and most of all, free to follow Jesus. That's the therapy. You see, even the people that Jesus healed ultimately died. The therapy, however, restored them for a time to be able to be back with their family, to be loved, to be, to be contributed. Jesus applies his therapy, his physical, emotional, occupational, and spiritual therapy. The healings of Jesus, the therapy of Jesus, are transformational. They're, this word, I don't like this word, but it's a good word. It's they're holistic. They're holistic, meaning they provide much more than the physical healing themselves. They're restorative. They bring a person back to a point where they understand that they're loved by God and they can love their fellow man as well. That's the Jesus therapy that we have today. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.